We that feeling Ali. right there, I wish I could have done a little bit more, is the only remorse that the victim feels. I wish I did more. Hello everyone, my name is Sarah and I am a co-active life coach as well as the host for MindPod. This is a place where I will be inviting interesting human beings to explore an idea. There is no right, no wrong, just browsing. So let's see what we can stir up. Our guest today is Haya Ansari, who is an engineer as well as an entrepreneur. She's a mom of two and she's currently running a project in Pakistan, which we will further cover in this episode. So let's invite her in. Hi, Haya. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Very well, thank you. Great. Um, thank you for joining today. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. Yes, let's talk about it. So guys, today with Haya, we are going to talk about harassment in public spaces. And uh, one of the reasons why I thought she'll be great at this is because she is currently running a project called Aga Initiative. And uh, it has to do with um, harassment. So... Haya, could you tell us a little bit about what is it that you do and uh, what's the reason that you started? So, Sarah, uh, what we're doing is we're trying to fight street harassment using technology. So what that looks like is we've set up an online portal. Currently, we're only working within Pakistan. And uh, any woman from across the country can come on that portal and fill in a very short form that's been designed by us to capture data around each case of harassment. And uh, what we realized is that the literature on harassment, especially harassment in public spaces, also called street harassment, is very limited, not just in Pakistan, but across the world. So there are some amazing projects uh, run by amazing women but they usually focus on awareness, which is great. I mean, that has its own place. And they also focus on uh, on-ground um, training and uh, education campaigns. Again, great, long-term solution, uh, wonderful. But uh, we thought that there's still something missing here because while we are trying to change the culture of harassment, um, street harassment, we are still not identifying why and how it happens and why and how it's allowed to thrive. That was the intention of starting the AGA project. So the word AGA means to make aware in Urdu. And uh, that's what we thought was most apt because most people, including us, are not even aware of the dynamics around street harassment. So when we start discussing the problem, what you have to remember is that not most men are not harassers. So there is a very small percentage of men in the community. Uh, I understand that street harassment is also against men and other genders, but I'm specifically focusing on female street harassment because that's what the project focuses on as well. And also it's most common. So while most men in society are not harassers, so a very small percentage, when you start asking the victims of uh, harassment, that is the women, 
you're going to find that almost close to 100% of women have faced street harassment. So it begs the question, why are five, maybe, maybe 10% of men allowed to do this to almost 100% of the women? It just doesn't make sense. Mm. So that's where we started to let's try and, and uh, peel this like an onion and understand the problem before we can suggest a solution. Mm-hmm. Where are you with the project uh, at this point? So, uh, like I mentioned, we have an online portal uh, where any woman across the country can come and report her incident. What we're going to do next is we take this information and we publish online uh, heat maps of harassment. So each city gets its own map. And uh, on those maps, we're going to make it so, once we get more reports, we're going to make it so detailed that you can start seeing patterns on the map seeing where which areas in the city are more affected by harassment Mm -hmm. and uh, not only where harassment is prevalent but also what kind of harassment how severe is the harassment how often does it occur and um, the power of these maps is uh, it's astronomical because try to Try to imagine this. If we get, let's say, 50,000 reports from a city and we're getting these regularly, we have incorporated artificial intelligence models into our research, which means that we are eventually going to come to a point where we can start predicting when harassment is going to take place and where. Mm-hmm. So. It's like I could go and tell the authorities that every Tuesday at 10 a.m., this is the street. There are lots of cases here. So as you can imagine, it's very efficient for any organization or authority to have that kind of information. I don't think you can put a price on it, really. Mm. Other than that, other than these very powerful maps that we're developing, we we also conduct in-depth research into uh, questions like, what should the victim do when they're being harassed? Does anyone know? We can guess. We know that she shouldn't be silent, but is it safe to not be silent? And maybe it also depends on which area you are in. So some urban areas could be more acceptable to stand up to your harasser, while another area is where the harasser might get more aggressive if you try standing up. Um, what should a bystander do? So what is your role and my role um, when we see street harassment? And what, again, what is the most effective thing that you can do? And you don't want to aggravate the situation. You also want to understand the, the, the profile of the harasser and the profile of the victim. So which age group is most effective, affected? And what kind of um, factors affect the general um, victim. Mm -hmm. For example, is education, does education have anything to do with uh, you being a victim, yes or no? So maybe you're, are you working or not? Does that have anything to do with you being harassed more or less? We don't know. So uh, what do you mean by, uh, does education affect the victim? So, You see, Sarah, in a society, 
we are all split into different uh, demographics mm -hmm. and according to our uh, socio social situations and I, I, even our um, things like your education things like uh, your career mm -hmm. these things select where in a city you're going to live pretty much mm. it kind of determines your lifestyle and it does it dictates your lifestyle and standard of living yes so yeah. we want to see if there is a direct correlation between these factors and harassment. Mm -hmm. Or maybe there isn't. We don't know. Mm -hmm. We don't know anything about harassment. Right. And uh, we also want to know, does harassment take place in the daytime or nighttime? Most people are going to assume nighttime. But the, the reports that we've gotten so far, um, I don't see anything that would confirm that suspicion. Maybe once we get more reports, I might be proven wrong. But again, it depends on the data and how mm -hmm. clean the data is and how willing people are to give us that data. Right. And you run this project in Pakistan at this point? Yes. Okay. Any reason why you um, chose to do this in Pakistan? Yes, because I am Pakistani. <laughs> I am Pakistani okay. and uh, we initially decided to just run it in one city. So as like a prototype and see the response that we get. And obviously this is new for us and there are going to be lots of challenges that we are not expecting. And we thought we're going to learn from that experience and then grow to all major cities in Pakistan. But once we started the project and we saw the kind of response we were getting from the people, we realized it's just not fair to have it in one city. We mm -hmm. have to have it across the across the country i would personally like to have it across the world but um, we'll get there one day yeah yeah for sure and so so far from your knowledge what are the different kinds of harassment or is there any sort of stages of harassment where it starts with one and then it goes to another and things get a little more serious so uh, how we study harassment is that we've divided it into three categories. There is the verbal category and someone passes in a sexual comment or whistling or singing, mm -hmm. any kind of attention that makes you feel vulnerable, unsafe, uncomfortable, and it's unwanted would fall under harassment. Mm -hmm even if it is not stereotypically what you would expect harassment to be. Right. So uh, someone persistently asking for your number, someone forcefully giving you a gift also falls under harassment. So the three categories, coming back to the three categories. So there is verbal harassment, uh, there's nonverbal, so they don't say anything, but they might be following you, staring at you, um, might be... Flashing falls under nonverbal harassment. And then there is physical harassment, which mm -hmm. I think is the most, the serious kind of harassment. Uh, however, I do want to clarify that we do not count major criminal instances into this project. So mm -hmm. serious issues or, or serious uh, felonies is for, uh, is for the police to solve and AGA doesn't really cover it. Since all the reports that we get are anonymous and we've made a very uh, conscious 
point to make them anonymous because at least the culture that we live in, and I honestly think across the world, no woman is comfortable talking about her experience with harassment. And why should she be? It's a very personal, personal, vulnerable thing to talk about. So I don't think we can force people to reveal their identity when they're talking about something that's um, so personal. Mm-hmm. Right. Since since we have made it a point to make it so anonymous, we cannot give advice to people when they do submit their forms in. But personally, if it's a very serious incident, the police should be involved. It, it's not enough to just report it on our portal. Right. So, so for us, we're not looking at the violent crimes. We are looking at uh, everything else that falls under street harassment. Mm. Yeah. So pretty much your focus is around collecting information and presenting it so that people are aware and, um, you know, um, hopefully that can be taken action by a bigger authority. Exactly. So the information that we're collecting, now this is what research does. So you collect information and then you try to understand, you parse through that information and you don't because it's so much of it. You use machines and you use uh, data science models and artificial intelligence models who are going to translate that data. So imagine Excel sheets that mean nothing Mm -hmm. into actual um, lessons that we can learn and, and ground realities. This is called data driven policymaking. So what are the current solutions? Again, I'm going to focus on Pakistan at this point. What are the current solutions that we have given women for street harassment? Uh, They're very simplistic. Oh, you got harassed. Why did you go through that road? Don't you know that road is not safe? Change, change Change the route that you take every day. This is a solution. Another solution is don't go out at that time. Um, especially in Pakistan in the last few years, a lot of women have expressed their anger at the situation by uh, organizing marches and protesting, which also I believe is important, has its own place, but is it really addressing the problem? Um, I think what we're doing is more, uh, it really hits the nail on the head. Mm -hmm. What we are hoping is by making all this, um, knowledge that we're getting public is that we're hoping that policymakers and authorities and organizations catch up on this information and make more informed decisions and have more um, effective measures to make the streets safer for women. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned that a lot of people don't like sharing their experience on harassment, but I do believe that you know, when people or when women are at our age, you would have had some sort of harassment experience on the streets. So have you had any? Me personally? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Too many. (laughs) Too many to count. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And how serious was it? No, it has, it's it's ranges from Mm. um, annoying to um scary just you know you feel really i would say terrorized Mm. that's the word i want to use and uh it has i have had very some some very serious experiences as well Mm. which is why this topic is so close to my heart and it's so um 
I don't need to read literature to know how much it affects women. Mm. I just need to look at myself. So, right. yes, just gleaning from that, you go. The, what did surprise me, Sarah, mm. was that I thought I was one of the few, not the only one. I wasn't that naive, but it was actually the Me Too movement is when I realized, oh, no, I'm actually one of the lucky ones who hasn't had to deal with as much harassment as I thought. Um, there are other women who've had to deal with a lot, a lot worse. So the Me Too movement um, is spurred on a lot of important conversations. And I think one of those conversations is what brought Aga to life. The, the realization that there mm -hmm. is a need for such um, a powerful tool to exist. Yeah. Right. And you've been to quite a few countries. You've lived there, you know, resided there. And how was it living in different areas or different countries all around? Um, so personally, uh, I have lived in the U.S. I've lived in the Middle East. I've also been to Pakistan. And obviously, the three places are very different from each other. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think the challenges based in each country are unique. And you can't say one is greater than the other. But specifically in terms of street harassment, Pakistani women are, I would say, the most challenged. And there are reasons to that. You mean Pakistani women in Pakistan? Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. I meant in Pakistan. Mm -hmm. I meant any women in Pakistan, not just the Pakistani women. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I think one of the main reasons why Pakistan suffers more from the other countries I've lived in is because the issue is often brushed under the rug instead of being addressed by both men and women. So men don't think it's serious enough and women don't believe that if they speak up, they will be taken seriously, they will be heard. Or some women also believe that they just shouldn't speak up, mm. which which is why I think the problem keeps getting worse and worse. Right. So what's important about speaking up? What's important about speaking up? So I started this talk by telling you how a very small percentage of men affects a large percentage of women. And the thing is that uh, I believe evil exists in society all societies. It's, it's part of the human experience. It is when the rest of us don't keep evil in check that it starts to grow and eventually it manifests, manifests itself into something that you can't control anymore. It becomes the norm. Mm. It started because you didn't speak up. It started because People didn't speak up to stop harassment and victims didn't speak up to let everyone know there is something really, really wrong. So when I started this project, it was, I, was, I was surprised to find uh, that the men around me also had no idea what harassment entails and how common it is. Mm. They all assumed, yes, harassment exists but not in cities. Or, or not with uh, the people I know, not with the ladies I know. 
definitely not with the ladies I know. Definitely impossible. <laughs> and I had to tell them, do you know you are sitting in a room with five victims right now at this minute? <laughs> not just, we haven't just been harassed once. We could tell you stories upon stories. And uh, I saw that there was a reluctance to believe that. Maybe because they felt responsible or maybe they felt ignorant. I'm not sure. But I, I realized that there was a reluctance to believe it. So initially, when we weren't getting enough reports, uh, I was speaking to my husband and I said to him, you know, um, we should be getting more reports. And he said, you know, maybe you're not getting enough reports because there aren't any. I said, oh, my God, you think there aren't any reports? <laughs> that is your conclusion? <laughs> So I found that very funny, but yeah. also very alarming. Women haven't spoken. I have never spoken to um, any man in my life speaking about the realities of harassment. I haven't. Mm. So I'm not sure if it's his fault for being ignorant or my fault for never speaking up or maybe both. Right. So I've also had um, a conversation about this probably like 10 years ago with a friend of mine and he was a guy. And I told him, you know, like, Randomly, we were just talking about harassment. Uh, probably I had had an, another harassment experience. And I was sharing that with him. And he's like, wow, I can't believe, you know, that happened to you. And I'm like, yeah, yeah but I'm pretty sure, like, your sisters experienced something similar. And he was so disturbed. He's like, no, it couldn't have happened to my sister. And I'm like, look, she might not have shared with you because it's embarrassing. Or I don't know. It's traumatic, you know, some people just can't talk about it. But I'm pretty sure if you ask her, she would have one or two stories or more. And he just couldn't, couldn't believe it. I didn't want to believe it. I don't know. Disturbed is the word, right? They're disturbed to the point that there's a reluctance to even accept that this is a reality. And that is also one of the reasons we want to put it in a report with uh, supporting data. So you can't escape from that reality. You can't explain it away. You have to face it. And I believe if these are the people around us who are, I know, caring men who would, who would march with me on the streets for safer streets for women, that's how much, um, that's how much they care. When these men can't accept this reality, then what are we expecting from policymakers? How are they even going to relate to this issue and come up with strategies that are impactful and effective? They don't know what the problem is, yeah. which is why this project is so important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, in order to grab their attention, because you know there's always something going on, in one city or one country, it really needs to have enough uh, impact for the government to notice and take action. Yes, and that usually happens whenever there is um, a particularly traumatic or violent case that does happen, the government and the people, everyone uh, wakes up and uh, there is an uproar in the country, well, rightly so, but again, there's nothing, there's no systematic change, no new rules in place, no new steps to take these harassers into account. And the, the, not just the harasser, the entire culture 
of mm. where we shield the harasser, we hide the harasser by being silent. Mm. What you're doing is you are giving the harasser another chance to harass. So one harasser harasses a thousand women and he's never confronted. So why would he ever stop? He yeah. would only stop if you raise your voice, if you start speaking up, and if someone, anyone goes and challenges the harasser. Just that fear that someone might ask me what I'm doing is enough to deter a lot of harassers and it is enough to start, the, it's enough to plant the seeds of, uh, of change in our cultures. Mm-hmm. Right. And when someone is harassed, what impact does that leave on that person? Um, so each person handles it differently. Uh, research suggests that if the woman stands up for herself, uh, the victim even just raises her voice, even if that doesn't deter the harasser, she is less likely to be emotionally impacted by the incident. But if she stays quiet, which according to our research so far, close to 80% of women replied, we didn't do anything because we didn't know what to do or what mm. was happening, mm. which is, um, which is, sorry, I'm going off tangent here, but um, which is also in, indicates to us that we need to educate women as well. Because even though this problem is so common, 80% of them had no idea what to do. So that means that there is education missing on both sides. Coming back to the point. Mm. So every woman, depending on how old she was and how traumatic the incident was, and also who harassed her, um, how many people were there with her? When, did she confide in someone? And once she did confide in someone, what was the reaction of her friend or mother or colleague or whoever she chose to speak to? All of these factors affect how she will internalize um, her trauma. Mm -hmm. So some people are naturally more expressive and they're more likely to want to share their trauma. And if they don't, it's just going to eat them up inside. Right. And uh, others, I would say they're the more unhealthy ones or, or more at risk of, of internalizing their trauma. Those are the ones who just push it at the back of their mind and try to never talk about it again and never admit that it even happened. Uh, it's a self-defense mechanism. You don't want to face it. So you just try to run away from it, mm -hmm. distance yourself from it, but uh, it's going to come back it's going to come back and it's going to affect you, especially yeah. when the next time you face harassment or you face a victim of harassment, which is, which is inevitable. Right. Yeah. Um, so I've been very expressive with all my harassment. Um, I'm very open to talk about that as well. The first harassment that I had was when I was seven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so basically, my I heart. <laughs> I know. And this was in Japan. Back then, I used to live in Japan. And um, I was playing with a bunch of my friends. They were all girls. And, um, you know, when we were playing games, we call each other's names and stuff like that. So there was a man sitting in the on the bench. And he was just watching us play. And at some point, he started calling each of us uh, by our names. And as kids, when someone knows your name, you would think that they know you not realizing that he's just, he just picked it up from like us calling each other's names. 
and he would just call one 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 of us one by one and just hold us for no reason. Thankfully, um, this lady, you know, passed by and she asked a bunch of girls like, "What's going on here?" And we explained the situation, and she's like, "Do not go, do not go to strangers, even if they call your name. If you don't know them, you don't know them." And had she not been there, who knows what would have happened, you know? And she was a stranger too. You didn't know her. No, but she was like a mother, I guess. You know, she knew. No, she was, was a up. hero, Sarah. Yeah, <laughs> give her a cape. Yeah, I wish I could. Yeah, honestly, because we were so clueless, and you know, back in those days, we had more freedom to step out of the house and play with, you know, just the kids. Um, whereas now I feel like people are a little more aware of that and they kind of like make sure there's an adult watching a bunch of kids when they do play outside, which is a good thing. Um, and then I've had experiences in elevators, not once, twice. Um, one was just a random guy who came in with me and my sister and he he basically tried to touch me. He touched me, actually. He um, And it was very weird. He touched my uh, bum with uh, this part of the hand, not the palm, the backside of the hand, just to see my reaction. And that's another thing. It's like... What's strange is that your sister was there with you. You're not even alone. I'm not even alone, and he didn't care. Like, we were probably like 17, 18, and... Uh, Can I ask how you reacted when that happened? Right. So... I looked at him and I was like, what are you doing? Do you think it's funny? <laughs> and <laughs> and he, he literally like said, I'm really sorry. And this was inside of my apartment. Like this was in the building that I lived. Sarah, you know, it's possible you're the first person to actually stand up and say that to him, considering his reaction and how, considering how bold he was to do that with another person in there yeah. and then him apologizing sounds like uh, yeah. sincerely. It, it seems like he didn't re expect your reaction because he just never got that reaction. This is how they basically test whether you could be a victim or not. And I even told him like, listen, I'm going to call the police. And he looked a little bit scary after that. Like he could have had a knife <laughs> and attacked us if I threatened him a little too much so I decided to stop there and just you know let it be but I wish I did a little bit more because there was a camera in the lift and you know we could have caught the footage and seen if we could that feeling right it. there I wish I could have done a little bit more is the only remorse that the victim feels I wish I did more yeah. but don't blame yourself the entire system is set up against you so the fact that you did as much as you did, I think you actually saved some girls after you from being harassed and from not going through that really traumatic experience. Yeah. And there is a reason why I became someone that speak up is because when I was 13 in the UAE, again, in my building, um, we, we used to have a, a neighbor and their grandparents used to live a couple of blocks away and they would always come and visit their children. 
and the grandfather harassed me. Yeah, grandfather. I, grandfather yeah, uh, he was probably in his like 60s, 70s, and I was 13. And it's a weird age, right? Like you're not a woman. Some people still treat you like a child, but some don't. Like it's such, such a weird <laughs> stage of our lives, and I just didn't know if he would, you know, put his arms around me because he considered me a child. But at some point, um, he he started coming every day because he knew my schedule of what time I come home from school and what time I leave for tuition. So he would. So he try did to, his homework. He did his homework, and he would come into the lift with me, my sister, and my brother. They were like a lot younger, and he would like pull me back in the lift to kiss my cheek, and that's when I knew something is wrong. Right, that was the first time, and I didn't know what to do the first time. The second time. I was alone in the lift. He was waiting for me to come out of the bus, uh, school bus. And we would go in together in the lift. And he kissed me again. I didn't know what to do. The third time, I was like, all right, that's it. You know. So he came close to kiss my cheek. And I was like, please stop it. I don't feel comfortable. And he was like, oh, I'm so sorry. It's just that you're very pretty. And... I was like, okay. Now, funny thing is, he came up with me in the lift, and he stayed in the lift when I got off. And he told me to not tell my parents. So I was like, okay. And I went and told my parents. Good. I was <laughs> going to ask. <laughs> yes, but it was not easy. I, I, I was so ashamed. I was really scared. I don't know why. It was, it's just an overwhelming uh, experience, you know? But I, I did the right thing. I felt like this is something that I need to address. And my father and uh, two of my uncles went to his house and gave him a warning. But I think something was wrong with him because we continued to live in the same building for at least 10 years. And I would see him from time to time and he would still try to talk to me. At some point when I was looking for a taxi, he would stop and go like, do you need a ride? And... At that point, I was very aggressive with men. I did not trust any men, especially older men, because probably of all the experiences that I had. And uh, just the slightest look from any man, and I was just like, what are you looking at? You want me to call the police? And I've been stalked many times, by car, by walk. And when I was in school, I've even seen a man masturbate in front of me. So, yeah, you know. I think I can get like 20 reports like right here. Yeah, and it's insane. No matter what I'm wearing, no matter what my age was, no matter where I was, I did get some sort of harassment. The data isn't in. But here's my theory on harassment. If you live in a culture where harassment is tolerated, which means that uh, harassers exist, and we don't do anything to stop them. The, and I, just, I don't just mean you, I mean systematically, we yep. don't try to stop the harassment. What tends to happen is that uh, these men are going to select a target, like you said, they do their research and they're going to select a target and anything about you that stands out will make you a target. 
So it's not really about the clothes that you're wearing. It's just about whether you stand out or not. It's possible, and I'm just, um, and this is just a theory, but it's possible that because you're Japanese and you might look different in the Middle East is what made you a target. I could be wearing something entirely different from my surroundings. It doesn't necessarily have to be something less. It could also be something more. But just because I look different, mm. I'm going to stand out and I'm going to be a target. So the issue is not with us. There is, the, the way I see it, there are two aspects to this. One is your personal safety, which is try your best not to be a target, mm. okay? Which is not bad advice, okay? Um, I might give that advice to my daughter because you don't, at the end of the day, you don't want your kid to be harassed. Yeah. On the other hand, this advice has nothing to do with systematically reducing harassment in a society, right? How many women are going to try and fit the trend instead of being themselves? And what can you do about fitting in? Nothing, right? So while this is good advice, personally, it, again, doesn't solve the problem. The problem yeah. has to be systematic. It has to be a culture shift, a mind shift. Uh, a set of policies. And I also think uh, I applaud you for how you confront these men because it's so necessary and it takes so much courage and guts to do that. Because yeah. you're right, at any point they could pull out a knife and at the end of the day, not only are they stronger than you physically, mm -hmm. we are in a structure where most probably people are going to listen to them. So even systematically, they have this um, advantage over you. So being in that incredibly uncomfortable and disadvantaged position, and I completely relate to and understand what you said, I, I can't tell my parents. Because even telling your parents, there's so many layers to it. Not only are you ashamed, you don't want to hurt your parents. And you keep, I would keep thinking, is it even worth telling them? because I know they're going to be hurt and, and scared and maybe even disappointed. I don't know. Yeah, there's another thing that I, I thought of. I'm like, I hope they don't lock me in and never let me out for my safety. For my safety, exactly. That is, I, I often think that that solution creates more problems than it solves. But again, I'm in no position to judge a parent for wanting to do that to keep their daughter safe it's a very difficult uh it's a very difficult thing to judge so we're not here to judge yeah the the point is the point is we should all be pointing fingers at the culprit mm. not at the victim not at the victim's parents not at your clothes not at what time you went out but why do harassers harass and how can we stop them from harassing is the question we should all be focusing on. Yeah. That is important. Mm. Everything else is like, um, so my co-founder, uh, she likes to describe this as, so you have an infection in your body and everything that we're talking about where you change your clothes and don't attract attention, all of this is like paracetamol. So you take Panadol, the fever comes down, but the infection is still there. The harassers yeah. are still there. You need to address the problem, not the symptoms. Yeah. So uh, it's 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 important to to address the symptoms as well, but only momentarily. So yeah. Change is going to come when we start focusing on where our focus should be. And that's what we're trying to do with Aga. 
we're trying to bring the conversation back to the harassers and what we can do in a systematic level and a policy level mm-hmm. about uh, about bringing these people to account or at least even if we can't bring them to account because there's just so many of them at least we can they should know that there is such a system in place and you can call the police and the woman is not as helpless as you think she is uh, i just can't tolerate this so i just want to put it out there my problem with harassment is the moment you talk about a victim and if someone turns around and gives any kind of excuse for the harasser any kind it it blows my mind that you're not even willing to socially punish the harasser just socially punish them just call them out on it just say it was wrong it was disgusting because it was so i get very offended and upset when someone tries to defend a harasser what do they say maybe, so they might say um if the harasser was let's say from a economically disadvantaged background so they'd say you know they're not married they have urges this is natural no no it's not no this is not natural not. I would think what is natural is if a boy is attracted to a girl. See that's natural. You have a crush on her. Do you harass her? No. You treat her better. That's yeah. natural. Harassment is all about power and control. Mm-hmm. And the fact you you think you have the authority to get into someone else's personal space and touch their body. Who who gave you permission to do that i want men to imagine that you two men are standing next to each other are you just because you're men you're not going to like be sticking together are you it's just natural to give another person their space so yeah. for someone to think that they can invade another person's privacy that that personal space and and just touch them even just touch them who gave you that right and it is all about power and yeah. and there's nothing natural about it yeah so i i love what you said about even touching them because a lot of the times at work or when we're socializing like men that i met them for the first time think they can just tap my shoulder right right what makes you think that's okay you know <laughs> just that um that level of um, decency is just yeah. breached for no reason why do people think that's okay yeah who gave you that permission uh you know if i'm friendly with you doesn't make it okay for you to start touching me even if sorry even we're friends right so even if we meet and i meet you by caressing your cheek <laughs> even though i'm a girl you're going to be like hi what's wrong with you <laughs> and there really has to be something wrong with me to yeah. think that i can do that it's yeah. not normal no it's not yeah so for a strange man to just tap you on the shoulder or put his arm around you it's it's, it's not, not okay. okay it's not yeah. okay so how can we prevent harassment uh, in your opinion haya speak up <laughs> speak up speak up let's go fill out these reports we if if you want an answer 
in like one line, we need to change the culture of silence around harassment. And uh, I would want everyone to be like that woman who you spoke about, who saw a bunch of girls being harassed. She's, I don't know what she was doing. She was just on her way. She stopped and she warned you guys. She intervened because she thought, no, this is wrong. Mm-hmm. I have to stop this. This is a moral responsibility on each and every one of us. And the thing is that the harassers also select younger girls for harassment just because they're innocent and they can get away with it, which is the ultimate harasser mind is I need to get away with this without anyone confronting me. So change that narrative, confront them, confront them, whether you see them on the street, where public transport is a big spot for harassment. And so are safe spaces like homes, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. I know we're not talking about harassment at homes because that is a whole chapter on its own. But even then, any space where women are vulnerable, children are vulnerable, is where you have to keep your eyes peeled, keep them off your phone and uh, try to intervene. If you are a bystander, you don't need to start a fight with the harasser if that's not what you're comfortable doing, but just intervene, go and speak to the victim. And I don't mean ask the victim what's going on. Just ask the victim of, so what time is it? How are you? Start a conversation that will throw off the harasser, but the harasser is going to know that you did this on purpose. You know, Mm -hmm. there is some kind of intervention. Someone calls the harasser out. And one more thing, if anyone tells you that they have been harassed, just getting to that stage is a lot of social development and emotional development that no girl has ever been prepared for. No, no person, no parent prepares their child for, for, to, for the moment of harassment. Yes, for the moment of harassment, because you don't, as a parent, you don't want to imagine that and they would go through that and you don't want to put that in their head. You are going to be harassed. You know, you don't want to say that to your kid. And I understand why it has a lot of negative implications if your parent comes and says that to you, but no one is prepared for that. So the fact that Sarah stood up in the elevator and said, I was being harassed means you should already know this means that there is a history behind this. Mm -hmm. And, And she was pushed to this point of power and confrontation where she decided to project her voice. So if someone is confiding in you about harassment, do not, do not belittle their problem. Do not tell them this is nothing. Do not tell them you are being too uh, emotional. Don't do that. Listen to them and you will be uncomfortable listening to it. Listen to it and tell them this is horrible. It should have never happened to you. And, and just, you know, take their side and believe them. Once we start doing this in a nutshell, um, there are also obviously AGA informs us of specific steps that we can take mm-hmm. that would help the solution. But if I would say in, in, in just one idea that I want to leave everyone with is to don't be silent, intervene and support victims and realize that this is a, this is a very serious issue. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Thank you so much, Haya, for joining me today. This was absolutely amazing. I think this was very important, the, the topic itself. Mm-hmm. And uh, thank you for having me. Thank you. It's also something that I am passionate about because just because I've been exposed to so many. And I know that I have the courage to stand up for myself, but I know many 
girls don't know yet. So I hope this is helpful for them. I hope so too. Thank you for tuning in. What are your thoughts on public harassment? And until next time, bye-bye.